Hello, thank you for joining us for our class on 1st and 2nd Peter. My name is Bob Lawrence. I'm one of the Bible class teachers at the Anchorage Church of Christ, and I'm glad that you've chosen to join us. And this week, we're turning to the very first chapter of 1st Peter to discuss the topic of faith. You know, if you're around Christians for any length of time, you're going to hear this word used, faith. It's an amazing word and a very valuable thing. In fact, faith is one of the most valuable things that you possess as a human being. It's like a muscle that gets stronger as it is stressed. It is the one thing that you as a human being can possess with which you can turn the head of God. We see examples of that in Scripture when the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years pushed her way through the crowd and finally reached out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Jesus, in a crowd of people, stops at that moment, turns and says, Who touched me? And then he looks at the woman and says, Go in peace. Your faith has healed you. When the friends brought the paralyzed man to Jesus and they, they dug a hole through the roof and they lowered the man there in front of Jesus. The scripture says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was impressed by the faith of people. When Jesus met the centurion, the soldier who came to him and said, would you come heal my servant? And Jesus says, I have never seen someone with this amount of faith in all of Israel. The one thing that you possess with which you can turn the head of Jesus himself is your faith. It's one of the most valuable things in the world. You might have heard of Sir William Osler. He's a physician who uh, in 1910 wrote an article that was submitted to the British Medical Journal. And listen to how he describes faith from the perspective of a physician. He says, nothing in life is more wonderful than faith, the one great moving force which we can neither weigh in the balance nor test in the crucible, intangible as ether, ineluctable as gravitation, the radium of the moral and mental spheres, mysterious, indefinable, known only by its effects. Faith pours out an unfailing stream of energy while abating not jot nor tittle of its potency, distributing force as from a great storage battery without money and without price to the children of men. <clears throat> Your faith is one of the most valuable things that you can possess. I bet you can think of someone who has an incredibly strong faith, somebody who has the kind of faith that you would like to imitate. Who's that person? What is it about their faith that you would like to have for yourself? I bet if you were to go and find that person and ask, how did you end up having such a strong faith? They would probably tell you stories of tragedy, stories of hardship, stories of incredibly tough times in their life that made their faith stronger and revealed their faith. In fact, there's a paradox of, of sorts in which we see people who have a strong faith and we say, I wish I had that person's faith. But when we look at the incredibly tough times that they go through in order for that faith to be revealed, we think, I could never do that. I, I don't want to go through that. And so we, we tend to push back. 
But if there's any message to catch from the letter of First Peter, it is to avoid backing away from those trials and those hardships that end up revealing your faith. And I think you'll see that in our passage today. So take a Bible and turn there to the letter of First Peter. And let's start there in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, in this week's passage, you'll notice that there are two key words that stand out. The first of those words is the word faith, and the second word is the word salvation. Now, next week, we'll deal more with the word salvation and dive deep into what that means. But this week, let's talk about this word faith that you see come up several times in the passage. Now, the word faith can have many different connotations and meanings, and especially today, the word faith is either connected to someone's religious beliefs, in other words, we talk about the Christian faith, or faith takes on this meaning of something that's just a step above wishful thinking. When I say, well, I, I have faith that this or that is true, it comes across as saying, that's my opinion, uh, it's an informed opinion, but really at the end of the day, it's not based on proof. And so in a modern sense, we tend to think of faith as something that is opposite of scientific proof. But in the ancient world, the opposite was true. In fact, at the time that this letter was written, the word faith did not mean the opposite of proof. It actually meant the product of a proof. When we said that a person in the ancient world, when they said that a person had faith, it meant that they had been given enough evidence to determine and to have a conviction that something was true. In fact, the classic example is that of a courtroom. Imagine that you are on the jury and there's been a murder and, and you are asked to decide, did the person accused of the murder actually do it? And so each of the attorneys come before you and they present the evidence on each side. And then you, as a person on the jury, are able to deliberate and you weigh that evidence. And after you've seen all the evidence, you have a firm conviction in what actually happened and you know what's true. Well, that firm conviction in the ancient world was called faith. <clears throat> and the same is true of your faith in God. That once a person has followed God and once a person has seen the evidence of God's existence, of his power, 
of his uh, divine nature, when a person has been able to listen to the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, then you come to this firm conviction that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. And that faith is not wishful thinking. It's not belief in something just because it's been told. And it's not belief in something uh, that you don't have evidence for. It's that firm conviction that comes from having weighed what God has put as evidence. And that's, that's this word faith. And that's the word that Peter uses here when he says that you, in this passage, have an inheritance. You, as one of God's children, have an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. And notice that Peter says that inheritance, which is a living hope, the living hope is another way of saying that your inheritance is eternal life. That inheritance is kept in heaven and it's guarded by something, through something, and for something. So it's guarded by the power of God through faith for your salvation. And so you, you hear how Peter says that your faith is incredibly valuable. In fact, he says that because your faith is leading to salvation in this, you greatly rejoice, even though, and here's a little pit stop Peter takes in the passage, where he says, even though for a little while you're going to suffer trials of various kinds, and then he tells you the value of those trials, he says that your faith will be tested. The purpose of those tough times in life, those trials in life, is to test the genuineness of your faith. And here is where Peter uses an interesting phrase. He says that your faith, number one, is more valuable than gold, even when tested by fire. Now, the word genuineness, as it's used in this passage, or the tested genuineness of something, is a reference back to a practice in ancient Greece, actually, in an agora or in a marketplace, when uh, people would come to buy or sell in the marketplace. Of course, they would bring their money from all different places of the world. And just like at any other time in history, uh, they had a problem in the ancient world with counterfeiting of coins. And so people would show up in the marketplace, and most people probably had honest money to exchange, but there were also counterfeiters. And in order to catch the counterfeiters, there were a group of people who were assigned and hired to work in the marketplace and actually test the coins that people brought into that mall of sorts to go shopping. And when a person brought in the coins, the coin tester, who was called a dokimaste, would take the coin and test it. And they had many different ways of testing the coin. They could uh, drop the coin onto the ground, and as the coin hit a hard surface, it would make a very distinctive ring, depending on what type of metal that it was made of. They would weigh it, they would feel it with their hands. In some cases, they would actually do test cuts to make sure that the coin was not uh, just plated with a precious metal, you know, with some other metal on the inside. And, and so they would test the uh, different coins. If it was a gold coin, sometimes they would actually melt the gold. And gold, when it's melted, if it's pure gold, when it cools off, it does not change color. 
but if it's contaminated with something like lead, as it cools, the gold will actually take on a black tone. And if, if the gold has silver mixed in it, as it cools, it will take on more of a whitish color. And so they had ways of, of testing the uh, coins and specifically pay attention to how they tested the gold. Because if gold was pure and it was tested by fire, then it did not change color. And Peter says, that's true of your faith. When he says that you can rejoice, even though you face trials of many different kinds, you can rejoice because the tested genuineness of your faith, he uses there a, a version of the word dokimon, meaning that it's dokimazo, it's been tested and approved. Your faith has been tested and approved. And then he says something about your faith. It is more valuable than gold. It's been tested there in the marketplace. Even though it's tested by fire, your faith is more valuable and will result in honor and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so Peter in this first section, when he's in a poetic way giving praise to God, he says, your faith is valuable because it's, it's the one thing that God is using uh, through which to guard your inheritance. And that inheritance through your faith is more valuable than gold. And then don't miss this. He says, your faith will be tested. But he wants you to understand that that testing is revealing your faith for what it really is. And really, that's the theme of First Peter. And you'll see this come up multiple times throughout the book. And if you turn all the way over to chapter 4, verse 12, you'll see there where Peter refers to this same principle when he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that you're undergoing as a test, as if something strange were happening to you. But he says, rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ. Uh, and so you're going to see this theme used throughout First uh, Peter. And really, Peter's making this point that just like gold is uh, tested in the marketplace, your faith will be tested. And it's, and it's those hard times. It's those trials that you face. It's those extremely difficult days in which you bear uh, the various burdens of life. But specifically, as you bear that burden of being a follower of Christ, Remember last week we said that if you choose to follow Christ, you will be misunderstood. You will be maligned. You will be reviled. There will be people that, that can't understand why you don't join in the same things that the rest of your culture does. And all of these things will lead to trials. And some of you will face threats to your job, to your well-being. Some of you threats to your very life because you chose to follow Christ. And Peter says that each of those trials, if you undergo those trials because you chose to follow Jesus, that's like the gold in the fire in which your faith is what is being revealed for what it really is because you, as a child of God, are, are uh, a person of real faith. And then Peter makes this beautiful transition. I don't know if you caught this, where Peter says, you, as a follower of Christ, have never seen him, but you love him. And what comes to mind is that scene there probably on the shores of Galilee when uh, Jesus takes Peter aside 
And after Peter, you remember his faith being tested, after Peter had denied Jesus three times, uh, Jesus, having risen from the dead, takes Peter aside and he restores Peter. And he says, Peter, three times he asks him, Peter, do you love me? The first two times, Jesus says, do you really love me? He uses the term agape, which means, do you love me without asking anything in return? And, and all three times, Peter says back to Jesus, yes, Jesus, you know that I phileo you, meaning I, I, I love you as a friend. And each time Jesus says to him, first, you feed my lambs, you tend to my sheep, you feed my sheep. And the last time Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you phileo me? And we're told that Peter was crushed because Jesus changed the word from agape to phileo. But Peter still says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. I, I love you as, as a dear friend. But here in 1 Peter, it's almost as if Peter is bringing back that moment. And he says, I'm amazed by you because you have never seen him and yet you love him. And do you know which word he uses there? It's the word agape. Peter says, you've never seen him, but you agape him. And you, though you have never seen him, you believe in him. The word belief there is based on the root word, uh, the same word as faith. Though you have not seen him, your faith is in him. And then he returns in, to the end of that opening passage and says, for that reason, you can have an inexpressible joy because you are being brought to the purpose, the end, the goal of your faith. And did you catch what it is? The whole purpose of your faith is for the salvation of your very self, of your very soul. And so that's a good segue into next week when we'll we'll take on the second of the two major words that are used in this passage, the word salvation. What does that mean? That our faith has a goal, that our faith has a purpose, and that purpose is the salvation of our souls. So next week we'll talk about salvation. But this week, go through 1 Peter chapter 1 and read verse 1 all the way through to verse 9 and spend some time on each of these phrases. This is an incredibly dense portion of First Peter. And I think what's helpful to do is to read each line and in your mind, try to just diagram the sentence. Try to, uh, to skim off the surface each time you read through the passage a little more of what Peter is saying and just allow that message to wash over you as you read through each of those verses. And then after you're through reading the verse, turn the video back on. I'll have a few questions at the end for you just to get the conversation going. And take those questions as an opportunity to discuss this passage in 1 Peter with uh, your family and with the people who are in the room with you today. Thank you again for joining us. God bless you. God bless the reading of his word. And I'll see you next time as we turn over to the uh, next part of First Peter and look at the word salvation. <laughs>